Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Matt Densky continued our series, The Disruptor, talking about how Jesus disrupts the box, the boxes that we end up putting God in. We looked at Luke 24, verses 13 through 32, when Jesus encounters the two men on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. They thought Jesus was going to do more than he did when he was alive, like overthrow Rome, and they were all upset and didn't know how to trust him. Matt encouraged us to think of all the times that we do this in our lives, limiting Jesus to our box ideas. We hope you're encouraged by this and enjoy this message. I'm so happy to be back. If it's your first time or first time in a while, welcome. Uh, We love you here. We want you to know that we believe that Jesus makes a seat at the table uh, for everybody, that you have a, a place to belong. And it doesn't matter what you believe, what you've done, or who you are. We believe that God allows you to belong because of the fact that you're loved by him and the fact that we believe you're made by him, and so you belong. And so we want to celebrate that too. We want you to know you belong here and you have a place here. Uh, My name is Matt. I'm the student pastor here. And uh, man, I just want to say welcome. We've been in the midst of a series for um, like three weeks now. This is week four. And we've called it The Disruptor. And the whole idea is looking at how Jesus... Uh, in the course of his life, disrupted so many things going on in the world around him. We believe that at at one point in history, God, who is spirit and immaterial, he's not physical, put on skin and became physical and became a man and, and actually lived on this planet for about three decades. And his name is Jesus. We, th- we believe that God came uh, out of heaven and walked on earth. And during those 30 years that he disrupted so many things around him. And so in week one, we talked about Jesus disrupts our normal. And then in week two, we talked about Jesus disrupts religion. And then last week, Dallas brought, uh, I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet on the podcast, but I've heard he did a phenomenal job. I can't wait to follow up. But Dallas taught Jesus disrupts our brand, uh, which sounds like an incredible message. As he and I were talking about it, I was getting super excited about it. And I want to continue that series this week, The Disruptor. So... Like maybe a year ago, I was watching this interview with a guy, and they were interviewing this man, and the man um, at one point in his life strongly believed in Jesus. And obviously, the past tense there would, would signify during the interview, during the time of the interview, he, he no longer did. And they were interviewing him about this idea, because apparently at some point, he was kind of well-known, he was famous, he was like a... Uh, like a comedian, traveling comedian, Christian comedian, I don't know. Yeah, man, like whatever. He's a funny guy, and he goes around and makes a living off of it, all right? So at one point in his life, he firmly believed in Jesus. He was um, like a performer. He would go to conferences, retreats. He was a a funny dude, and, and he would perform, and he was like a Christian comedian or whatever. And that was his life. That was his heart. That was his whole world. They were interviewing him, and they asked him this question. They said, why don't you believe in Jesus anymore? Why'd you walk away? I don't believe in Jesus anymore because my wife cheated on me while I was on the road, while I was performing, while I was going to these conferences. My wife cheated on me and destroyed our marriage and family. And I thought to myself, if God is going to allow that to happen, I don't want God. And I remember during the interview, he was ma- like clearly masking his pain 
with humor and sarcasm. He was making a lot of comments about his wife, um, very <laughs> nasty comments, like rude comments. He was masking his deep pain with, with some lighthearted sarcasm and humor, but he was also masking a lot of his spiritual pain with just this apathy, this, this kind of cold, stone, emotional state of it all. And my heart, honestly, my heart was divided because half of me felt terrible for this man. Deep, deep um, hurt and empathy for this man. I would not wish that on any person ever to have a sacred relationship like a marriage be torn apart because of unfaithfulness or deceit. That's honestly, I think, one of the deepest pains this, this world can offer. So part of me is deeply hurting with this man. The other part of me is, is challenging his logic in my mind. I'm like, ah, dude, I, I'm hurting with you. I, 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 I feel your pain. Like I, I'm empathizing with what you're saying, but, but your logic is just not airtight. Because basically what he's saying is circumstances happened in my life and I did not see them coming, but because they happened, God must not love me. And if God's going to allow this, then I don't want to be a part of God. I don't want him in my life. And I'm sitting there wondering, like, man, when, when did you make this, like, secret agreement with God? When, like, where did he sign the contract? And I want to see it. Like, all right, God, I'll believe in you as long as my marriage stays healthy. And if the marriage tanks, then my faith tanks. Because that's essentially what he was saying. I'm like, wow, is did you, did you and God agree to those terms? Like, that's really interesting to me. Or did you make those terms up on your own? And if you did, why? Why didn't anyone ever help you see, like, how incorrect that is? But you see, he's not alone. I, I, I meet with a lot of students. This past week in Texas, I got to talk with so many students and hear their stories. And it's so funny. I think I was talking with Sophie Pot, wherever you're at, sis. Cool, skipping the sermon. Love that. Sophie! <laughs> Just kidding. Love you, girl. Hey, Sophie brought me an Americano tonight. I walk in my office and there's an Americano, hot, not cold, no room for cream. My girl hooking me up. Thanks, sis. I was blessed beyond measure. Thank you. If anyone else would desire to bless me, Americano, hot, no room for cream. That'd be great. Thanks. Coordinate amongst yourselves so that I don't get like three in the same night. That'd be wasteful. Just, you know, make a schedule, feeding schedule, buy me a drink schedule. That'd be great. Sign up. Maybe make like one of those, I don't know, what do they call them? Food trains? Yeah. They do it for like pregnant women and stuff so that people can bless them. Yeah. That's fine. I'll take that. Um, but this past week in Texas, I, I was, uh, you know, speaking to these students, and this is the usual um, the usual progression. This is what I was telling Sophie because she asked me how it went. I was like, usually when I go and I speak at new places, the first uh, vibe from students is usually like, who are you? Who's this guy? And what do you have to offer? Right? Because that's just the, like the defense up by, let's be honest, teenagers are like, oh, this dude, bullcrap. Like, I don't, like, they don't know me. I don't know them. They're like, yeah, let's keep them at arm's length. That's the first thing. And then it starts to evolve to like, Hmm, now wait a minute, maybe this guy does know a thing or two, because he's like, he's like saying some things that are hitting my heart. Like this past weekend, the, you would have thought like I did an Alakazam like genie moment. I just hit the woe pretty good, and the whole room's like, oh, he knows me. I was like, I, I do know you. I do know woe, right? Like it was amazing. So then all of a sudden it's like, oh, maybe he does have something. And then usually as the, as the weekend progresses, they're like, 
dude, how do you know me that well? Because we get to have conversations, and I get to speak into their world and worldview, and then all of a sudden they're like, dude, I didn't, like, when you, how do you, how did you know I was going through this? And the, the truth is, like, I'm not some, like, crazy mind reader. People struggle with generally the same things anywhere you go. And once you have that conversation a few hundred times, you begin to predict where it's going. You see, this guy that I watched in the interview is not the only person to enter a relationship with Jesus under these same terms. Like, Jesus, I'll believe in you as long as fill in the blank. Like, my faith will be strong as long as fill in the blank. And when that blank doesn't work out like you thought it would, and your faith gets disrupted based on your own terms and conditions that you've applied to God, you're kind of in this whirlwind of like, well, well, then God, where are you? Do you love me? Do you care? This is not what I signed up for. Where are you at, dude? This is not right. Now, it may not be a marriage, but we all have certain ideas like this that we've allowed to creep into our minds. We've created this this box, and we've put Jesus in this box, and then when, when, when he operates outside of that box, we're so surprised by it, and we're thrown by it, we don't know what to do with it. And I'll be honest, I was struggling with this last week. Like, I'm just as guilty of wrestling with the box. Because last week, my, my family has been sick basically since Thanksgiving. I want to get real for a minute. We've had, like, the crud. We've been sick since Thanksgiving. It just keeps getting passed around. And you can endure a few weeks of that, a month of that. But after, like, two months, it's just exhausting. I've got a four-year-old, uh, a, a year-and-a-half-year-old, a little over a year-and-a-half-year-old. My wife is pregnant uh, with a little girl, and she's, um, like, four-and-a-half months along. Uh, and guys in the room, I don't know if you've ever been around pregnant girls, um, they're, they're different. They're, it's just, it depends on the hour, okay? That's all I'm going to say. I love my wife with all my heart, but I never know who I'm going to get, okay? That's, it's a stressful time, man. Um, I love her so much. So the past few months have been rough. So I'm speaking at this retreat in Texas. I, I come back, I land, I walk in my home around midnight. I'm exhausted relationally exhausted. Some of you guys who really know me, you know, like I'm very shy, I'm very introverted. So, so doing things like that is just taxing. Relationally, I'm exhausted. Physically, I'm exhausted. Mentally, I'm spent. Emotionally, I'm tanked out. Spiritually, I've given it all. Like I, I come home on empty. The very next day, my wife starts throwing up. She gets the stomach bug, which that's like my worst nightmare. I hate the stomach bug. I hate throwing up. I have trained my body not to do so. I have literally held vomit right here in my esophagus and like forced it down, turned the switch in my body. My body doesn't know what throwing up means anymore. It just implodes in my own system, poisoning everything. So you guys think I'm joking. The mouth sweats? Oh, I hate the mouth sweats. Like when you start to oh, salivate. Oh, I hate that so bad. So my wife starts throwing up and I'm like, oh my gosh. So... I know what that means, though. What that means is for the, for the next 48 hours that I'm on dad duty by myself, which usually is not a problem, except I'm already on E, like I'm tanked. So I quarantine my wife. I've got my two boys. We, we, we plow through those two days. Um, and then on that third day, my sweetheart's feeling better. She's got energy, and I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. My four-year-old starts throwing up. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, seriously, I had a breakdown. Like, I... I I had nothing. I had nothing. And I found myself thinking this thought of like, Jesus, like, 
dude, where are you at, man? Like, what is going on in my world? Why is my family just sick? And why? Why are you letting it continue? You see, because somehow in my box, I got this idea that, yeah, Jesus would let my family get sick. That's no problem unless I'm exhausted and depleted and have nothing in the tank and literally don't have a clue how I'm going to take care of my two boys for the next two days. And I'm like on the verge of tears. I don't mind confessing. I'm like a wreck at home. Like, oh my gosh, dude, I've got nothing. <laughs> like, and I'm like, Jesus, what, dude, what? So somehow in my mind, yeah, getting sick normal unless, Jesus, I'm exhausted. Then I expect you to come through and do some kind of healing to prevent this from going on. Like that thought had somehow crept in my mind. And when I found myself thinking that and getting angry that this was going on last week, I was like, dude, what is, I had to confess. I had to pray like, hey, God, I'm sorry. Like, you are good regardless of my family's health. And I'm getting frustrated and I'm, I'm just sorry. We all have a box. We all have conditions to our faith. And most times we don't even know it exists until stuff hits the fan, until something goes wrong. And then we're like, oh. I guess I did have a box. So actually, I have up here a box tonight, okay? Yes, it's a little box. And in this box, I have, um, like, these are things I've heard, like, actual statements I've heard over the years from students or from adults or from whoever. These are things that I've actually heard. All right, I'm going to pull out a few, and we're just going to read through. Um, okay. I want to believe in Jesus, I want to believe in him, but I'm afraid of what that means for me. Like, I'm afraid of what he might invite me into. I'm afraid of the life he might ask me to live. I'm afraid of what he'll ask me to give up. I want to believe in him, but not so much that I want to leave behind what he might ask me to leave behind. That's a box. That's a box thought. That's this idea that somehow if I believe in Jesus, my life's about to get worse because what I have right now is better, and I don't want to actually do that. I want him, but not that life. We put Jesus in the box. Uh, Jesus doesn't really mind what I do on the weekends. I get that from students. I met with a student one time. He told me, uh, I discipled this dude for like two years. He told me I finally got it figured out. I'm like, oh, what do you got figured out? He's like, dude, I just get the best of both worlds. I'm like, explain. He said, man, I go to church on Sundays, but I party on Saturdays. I'm like, hmm, let's talk about that. He's like, dude, I know it's sinful, and I just don't care. Like, I finally, I'm like, oh, (laughs) like, so you're not even searching for the, okay. Yeah, Jesus doesn't care that much what I do on the weekend. I'm like, okay. So we've we've put Jesus in this box. We've defined something about him that maybe he didn't define. Uh, If God... If God actually cares, the world would not be so messed up. I hear this one all the time. Like, dude, why do bad things happen to good people? Like, what's going on? If God actually cared, the world would not be like this. Um, I only pray, I only talk to God when I actually need something. For some of us, we find ourselves like, hey, man, do you, do you like pray often? Well... Actually, if I'm honest, it's only when I'm asking for things. Oh, do you think God's bigger than that? Do you think God maybe just likes to talk about your day? Well, I don't know. Put him in the box. Uh, (laughs) I 
I get, I get told this one. Sometimes. You can't believe in Jesus and have fun. That's impossible. Like, oh, wow. See, because when I read the scriptures, Jesus seems like the life of the party. Like everyone wants to be around you. Everyone wants to party with Messiah. But today is like, no, nah, you can't. Christians are lame. They're boring. You can't believe in Jesus and have fun. Okay. Uh, I don't believe in Jesus because everybody who does are hypocrites. Hear that one all the time. Uh, God will not give me more than I can handle. Interesting. You're the only one, bro, because he gives me more than I can handle all the time. That's how I learn to depend on him when I can't do it on my own strength. I'll follow Jesus uh, when I get a little bit older. Not now, not in this season of life, but in a little while. Oh, so you know that you're guaranteed tomorrow? That's crazy. Tell me how you have such certainty in life. Um, God, would you give me a sign if you're real? I won't believe unless I see some kind of like miraculous sign. Uh, if God loved me, that thing would not have happened to me or my family. I hear that one a lot too. I was, I was joking around um, with, with some dear friends, some girls of mine earlier in, the, in, in my office. I was like, girls, give me a like what's in the box. And they were like, <laughs> they said, uh, if God promises to give me the desires of my heart, how come he won't give me the person my heart desires? And I was like, ooh. But it's good, right? Like sometimes, dude, I had this mad crush on a girl in high school. Like mad crush. I met her when I was in seventh grade. <laughs> and I was like. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Thank you. God, this is the sign I've been waiting for. You are, you are real. Uh, mad crush, man. For four years, I, I crushed on this girl. I was in the friend zone before anyone even knew what that was, dude. And I, I genuinely was like, dude, why, like, why won't God give me that? So I get it, man. I get it. We all have these statements, these ideas about who God is, about who Jesus is, about how he's supposed to operate, about what our faith looks like, about what this life should be, and we have a box. And when God doesn't operate according to your box, when he operates outside of the box, we're so confused and we're so rattled. And going back to that interview, most of us desire, and I'd say all of us truly desire freedom, like the ability to make decisions for yourself. We call that free will. We desire freedom until that freedom enables someone else to hurt us. And then we're like, God, how come you didn't stop them? Why'd you let that happen? So we have this weird view of freedom. It's like, God, I want it unless it hurts me. And then I want you to control others. It's not how God works. We put them in the box. Was God to blame for that gentleman's marriage falling apart? Seems like a decision based on the wife. And man, truth be told, I don't even know the context was he on the road all the time, and she was super lonely, and she tried to talk to him about it, and he didn't care? Like, and that doesn't excuse what she did, but there's just so much more to it. But he's over here saying, yeah, I walked away from Jesus entirely because of what she did. I was like, dude, I don't think Jesus is at fault for your wife's decision, bro. But he put Jesus in the box that, that he will bless my marriage, and if he doesn't, I'm done. What's in your box? I want you to know something tonight. Jesus wants to disrupt the box. Whatever's in your box, whatever belief, whatever idea that you have that you've put in there and you've kind of defined who God is and who Jesus is and he's got to operate like this and do it just like this. And if that doesn't work, then God's not real. He doesn't love me and he doesn't care. You've created a box and you've defined how God works. 
Jesus wants to, desires to disrupt that box and allow us to see him for who he truly is, not who we've made him out to be. And so I want to look at a story tonight in Luke chapter 24. Luke is, is writing about these two disciples who are walking on a road, and they're going to a city, going to a place called Emmaus. And these two disciples are like B-list disciples. Like, they're not the 12. We don't, we don't even really know who uh, one of them is. Only one of them gets named in this passage. His name is Cleopas. It's a really unfortunate name. And so these guys are like B-list disciples. They're not the A-team. We kind of get this conversation between them and Jesus. Uh, and we're going to be in Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Jesus has just been murdered. He's just been murdered. He's just been crucified. He was put in the tomb, and it's been three days, and these guys are walking on the road, going to a city, um, and Jesus comes and talks to them. Really, really interesting story. Verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and while they were talking with each other about all of these things, and when the scriptures say all of these things, what's it talking about there? Yeah, what just happened with Jesus? They're talking to each other about like, man, can you believe he was, oh, can you believe he was crucified? Can you believe they murdered? Like they're talking about all the events going on with Jesus. They were talking about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So they're chilling on the road. They're talking. They're talking about Jesus being killed and murdered. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes and like just, what's up, guys? Now, the amazing thing, though, is, verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That's a really, really interesting idea there. In fact, Jesus, once he was resurrected, once he came back from the dead, he spent 40 days on earth walking around, following up on his mission and ministry, and no one recognized him at first. There's a ton of thoughts about why and a, a lot of interesting discussions, but these guys are in that crowd. Jesus draws near, and they do not know who he is. And he asks them, hey, what are you guys talking about? What's this conversation that you're having with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Now, here's the deal. Jesus asks them a question that literally stops them in their tracks. It says they stood still. They're walking, they're talking. Man, can you believe they killed him? Can you? Yeah, man, I come on. And Jesus comes along. Oh, dude, who are you? What are, like, where'd you even come from? And he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And that question stops them where they stood. They stopped walking because it triggered emotion. It says they stood still looking sad. They were heartbroken that Jesus is dead. They're devastated. Their whole world has bottomed out. They've given up everything to follow this guy, and now he's gone, and all of their hopes and dreams and their future and everything they hope to see happen is gone. And Jesus comes along and asks them, what are you guys talking about? And the question alone stops them. They are devastated at the loss of their friend Jesus. Verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know about the things that have happened there in these days? 
<laughs> he says to them, what things? Like he's inviting this conversation. I mean, they're, they're like baffled. Are you this exaggerating? Are you the only person in Jerusalem? Now, Jerusalem was having a, a festival called Passover, and the population of Jerusalem could swell. A lot, of, a lot of researchers think up to four times its normal population. So around 50,000 people. So potentially 250,000 people are in Jerusalem, and they look at Jesus. They're like, dude, are you the only idiot who doesn't know? He's like, no what? <laughs> like, I love that. He just like keeps egging it on. Are you the only one who doesn't know? He says to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, murdered him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel, and now it is the third day since these things happened. So they're walking they're talking. Jesus comes out of nowhere. They don't recognize him. Hey, what are you guys talking about? They stop. They're sad. They look sad. They're devastated. They say, dude, are you the only one? Man, haven't you checked your Twitter? Haven't you looked at the gram? Haven't you been on TikTok for a while? Like, dude, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on in Jerusalem? He's like, dude, what? Tell me what things. Man, concerning Jesus. And they murdered him, bro. Don't you know? We hoped he was the one. And now he's dead. And moreover, it's three days since his death. Which in Jewish custom and culture, the soul of a person would linger over the, the tomb or the body for three days. And then it would finally depart. So what they're saying is, he's not just dead. His soul is gone too. Like, he's, his presence is no longer here. We had hoped he was the one. That's a really, really interesting comment. You know what that is right there? That's a box comment. The one? To do what? You see, you, you got to understand, when, when these guys are talking to Jesus, they're talking as young Jewish men who have been steeped in Jewish culture and custom, oral tradition and history and the Old Testament their entire lives. And that tradition has been passed down for thousands of years. And all throughout the Old Testament, there's this talk going on. One day, one will come. He will be the chosen one, anointed by God. And when he comes, certain things will happen. There's all these prophecies about the Messiah, the chosen one. Jesus came. We believe he is that chosen one, is the Messiah. But in these guys' minds, Cleopas and Mystery Man, in these guys' minds, when Messiah came, he was supposed to do certain things. And in their minds, what, G, what the Messiah was supposed to do was become a military leader, become a conquering king, and overthrow Israel's oppressors, which at that time was Rome, the military leader who would overthrow Caesar and Rome and get them out of Israel and out of Jerusalem and reinstate the throne of Israel in Jerusalem and sit on that throne and rule as a conquering king who has brought peace to his people. 
That was the idea of Messiah that had leaked through thousands of years into their assumptions and expectations and presuppositions about what Messiah would do once he comes. That's a box idea. That somehow we've allowed culture to define what Jesus will be like. And we've put that idea in the box. And the moment that didn't happen, we thought he was the one. And he's not. That's their words. That's their idea. That's where they're at. Their faith, their expectations, their whole, their whole association with Jesus has been reworked. It's crumbled. It's falling apart. We hoped he was the one. Jesus's question, hey, what are you guys talking about? That question alone triggered such a nerve. They stopped and they looked sad. These guys are heartbroken because they thought they were a part of the revolution. They thought they were about to overthrow Rome. They thought they were about to reinstate Israel as a theocracy, as a God-worshiping light to the nation's nation where God's law reigns supreme, and we've got a king on the throne who overthrowed Rome. They thought Jesus might be that guy, but now he's dead. And moreover, it's been three days since his death. They had a box idea about who Messiah should be, and now that Jesus didn't fulfill it, they're devastated. What's in your box? Have you allowed culture to define what Jesus should be and how he should operate and what he should do for you and how he should work in your life. That if somehow you believe in Jesus, things will go like this. Somehow if you believe in Jesus, your life will look like that and your future will be like this and you'll get that house that you dream of and the job that you want through the college that you like and the degree you like and you'll be in the relationship. God, don't you owe me that? I believe it in you. Those are box ideas where we contain God to our own definitions of how he should be operating. Now, to these guys' credit, they weren't entirely inaccurate. You see, the Old Testament does talk about a chosen one who will come and restore Israel and bring peace. The Old Testament does talk about one who will come and overthrow his oppressors. We believe that Jesus has two comings, the first, which has already happened, and the second, which is in the future at some date that nobody knows, including Jesus himself. The disciples were like, hey, when are you coming back? Jesus is like, only the Father knows. I don't even know that. Like, oh, that's interesting. And the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus are distinctly different. The second coming is as conquering king, and that's what these guys were expecting. But his first coming is as suffering servant, one who is bound for the cross, to suffer for the sins of many, to give his life as a ransom, to be ripped apart and beaten and broken for the world. And they completely missed this one. They're waiting on this, and they completely overlooked this. And because Jesus didn't do this, they have no clue what to do with him. We thought he was the one, but he died on a cross. That's not Messiah. That's not the one we were waiting on. Man, he didn't, even, he didn't even try to revolt. He didn't even talk. Dude, he talked about peace more than he talked about a plan to overthrow Caesar. Man, who, we thought he was the one. 
They put him in a box. They were devastated. Jesus didn't operate according to their ideas, their presuppositions, their assumed notions, and they are shattered. Moreover, verse 22, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us at the tomb found it just as the women had said. They didn't see Jesus. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, <laughs> oh, foolish ones. I mean, Jesus is gentle as a lamb, but he's also a lion. And he can give a rebuke from time to time. He looks at me and says, this is modern day translation. All right, I'm going to give you guys the modern day. I mean, you guys are tripping. You fools. That's modern day. He looks at me and says, man, you foolish ones. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Messiah, the Christ, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus literally is like, ah, guys, you're killing me, smalls, you fools. Listen. Let's go back to Moses. He literally goes, Old Testament Bible study, and I wish Luke would have recorded it. Luke, where are you at on this one, dude? Jesus literally goes all the way back to Exodus. Guys, let's start with Moses. We're going to walk through Moses and all the prophets, and I'm going to point out the scriptures that talk about me and how I was supposed to suffer. You're waiting on conquering king. Let me show you where it actually talked about suffering servant. He digs into an Old Testament Bible study with these guys to help them see what they've missed. Now, here's what I want you to know. This is a side trail real quick. This is the amazing thing about Jesus. I love Jesus so much. It's one of the amazing things about him. This passage begins with these guys who are heartbroken, and they're walking, and Jesus approaches them. He asks them what they're talking about, and he allows them to talk through their emotions. But once they're done processing, he then reveals to them where they've missed it. And I would suggest that in our lives, you will go through times of frustration or confusion, or you will be heartbroken, or you will be angry at God. You'll be confused. And I would suggest to you those same three things Jesus does to us. He approaches you. In the midst of your frustration, Jesus came to them. I think he approaches us. He asks them, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? I think he invites that same question to our hearts. Hey, you want to talk this out? You want to talk about why you're so upset? And the amazing thing is he listens. He doesn't interrupt. He just lets us talk. But then third, in his love and grace, he shows us what we've been missing all along. He doesn't just leave us in the confusion or frustration. He allows us to process in his presence and then helps us see the truth. Hey, guys, let me show you where, where you've missed it. And I think Jesus does those same things today. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village which they were going. Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged, they urged him strongly saying, hey, uh, stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now spent. This is very much bro code. 
You got a bro that you want to spend the night, but you don't want to come on too strong, right? Jesus is like, all right, guys, I'm out of here. Peace out. And they're like, oh, hey, man, I mean, dude, we got, we got hummus. <laughs> you know, it's dark. Hey, man, it's dark. You, you shouldn't be walking. The day's spent. The evening's here. Hey, like, why don't you stay? Why don't you stay, bro? You sleep on the floor. We sleep in the bed. It's good, man. We chill. We got an Xbox One. I love dudes, man. Dudes are so funny. Because we really like slumber parties. We just don't like to talk about the fact that we like them. Hey, man, why don't you stay? It's dark. You don't want to walk in the dark. So Jesus goes in. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, so he goes in, he sits down, he begins to have dinner. He's at the table with them. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. This is a nod to John 13. This is my body broken for you. Take and eat. He blesses the bread. He gives it to them. And it's in this act. Look at verse 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. This whole time, they're chilling with a stranger. A pretty cool one, but he's still a stranger. Who is this? Why is he talking? Hey, hey, why don't you just stay for dinner? And all of a sudden, Jesus comes in. He breaks the bread and they're like, it's you. It's you, Lord. It's Jesus. And the moment they recognized him, he vanished from their sight. They turned to each other, verse 32, and they said, Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us, while he opened up the scriptures? I mean, these guys were like, man, didn't you feel something? Didn't you sense it to me? Ah, I knew it. And they knew it was Jesus. The entire time they're with him, they do not recognize him. Because they've got a box idea about who Jesus is. Jesus is literally walking on the road in close enough proximity to touch, in close enough proximity to smell, and they do not know who he is. And these guys have just spent some significant years of their life with this guy, and they do not know who he is. Because they're waiting on this. They're waiting on Jesus to come and and be this idea that they've put in their box. And they can't see him. But once Jesus actually helps them understand what the scripture said, and once Jesus actually sits down and has dinner with them, and they, and they sense his presence and hear his words, it's at that moment that I think they let go of their assumptions of who he's supposed to be, because he just explained to them all about the suffering servant. And it's at that moment that their eyes were open. They recognized him. Man, didn't, oh, didn't you feel it on the road? There was something about that. Man, I knew it. What's in your box? What ideas have you allowed culture to define for you? And you've written them down. And oh, yeah, man. Yeah, my friends, I definitely think this one for sure. And we believe in Jesus contingent upon our box ideas. And then we limit him to this alone. You will never, ever see Jesus for who he truly is as long as you contain him to the box. When you only interpret Jesus in light of what's in here, you'll never see him outside of this. And when he begins to operate outside of this, you don't know what to do with him. It's like, hey, man, dying on a cross, that's not the Jesus we were following. 
She's like, guys, let me show you where you missed that. You will never see Jesus for who he truly is as long as you contain him to the box. So what's in your box? What ideas have you allowed to creep in to define how Jesus should operate and is supposed to operate and is supposed to speak to you and do for you and bless you and guide you and and give you the life that you've designed? And what would it look like for you to actually let those things go? What would it look like for you to maybe open the box and say, dude, this is not you. I've made it you, but it's not you. And I'm done with that. Jesus wants to disrupt the box. He wants to introduce you to who he really is, not defined by you and not defined by culture or American Christianity. God help us. He wants to introduce his real self to you, and that oftentimes comes through a pairing of listening to the Spirit and understanding his word. Man, I can't tell you how many times this thing has has hit my heart in ways that I'm like, God, forgive me. I didn't realize that. Jesus draws near to you in your frustration. He listens to you and allows you to vent and speak and process, and he helps, helps us see what we're missing. But he wants to disrupt the box. He wants you to get out of this idea that somehow he's limited to this definition, that somehow you as a teenager in Greenville, South Carolina, have figured out all of who God's supposed to be, and it all fits right here. He's saying, dude, I've been operating since the beginning. I'm much bigger than this. Would you let me disrupt this and introduce you to the real me? It's hard, but it's better. What's in your box? Will you allow Jesus to disrupt it? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word, which in this passage is the thing that you use to help your your disciples see what they were missing all along. I believe your word still speaks to us and to our hearts. We thank you for your spirit and your presence, because you do draw near to us and you are with us. We love you, Jesus. For a lot of us, we do have a box. We've put a lot of things in that box over the years, ideas about you, assumptions about you, these like weird promises and contracts we've entered in that somehow you'll operate like this. Jesus, I just pray that you would obliterate, decimate, destroy the box in our hearts and allow us to come to know you and experience you and see you and and love you for who you truly are. Please help us see you. We pray you would open our eyes. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.